I will be providing what I'll call an elite level of mixed training. Whatever pace you can go, you'll be certified as somebody completely capable of performing at a black belt level. So you say, but Aaron, my company won't pay for my certification. I can't afford to pay for it myself. And I'll say, I know because I offer those programs. But I also want to make sure that I can get to those people who cannot afford to do it themselves. This is what we're doing. We're doing a subscription model. This means that you decide how much that you're going to pay by how long you take to complete the program. So here's how you apply. Go to www.esuccess-methods.com slash BB2017. Here's the password. All lowercase E6S-BB2017. Push through it real hard. You could be done in two months. Give it some due diligence. You can be done in five months. If you give it some time and work through it and it still takes you a year, you still saved a ton of dough. So if you can afford $9 per day, you're hardworking and you have a burning desire to grow and develop as a problem solver and, you know, 20% extra potential pay bump wouldn't be bad, I wouldn't hesitate. I would take advantage of this right now. The price is low. And again, I can only take 20. Once that space fills up, that's it. Welcome to the E-Success Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, a weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical worlds of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 156, we clean house a bit with a review of an old I-Six Sigma article called Black Belts Should Create Balanced Project Portfolios by William Rushing. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast table of contents at esuccess-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Hey, Jacob, how are you? Fantastic, Aaron. How are you? I am doing great. Prospero Año Nuevo, Jacob. Wow. I... <laughs> no hablo español. <laughs> okay, well, we tried. <laughs> Just because I went to Mexico for vacation doesn't mean I should start speaking Spanish. Well, they they, they don't speak uh, they don't take you to that in the resorts anywhere. No, they don't. They Most don't. of them speak fantastic. Not even the piña colada. No, <laughs> cerveza is probably the closest one. I speak mucho piña colada. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So we've just alienated all of our Hispanic. Listeners. Uh, speaking listeners. Yes. Um, so uh, getting back to what we're going to talk about, uh, I was digging. I was doing some some 5S, and I found some old printed I6 Sigma articles, and one of them came – well, okay, let me let – me, I said 5S, but really it turns out I'm a information hoarder, and I had papers that I printed out in 2008 that had been sitting in my closet that I said – I'll get to those sometime. Maybe those will be useful. And this was one of them. So uh, before I throw it in the garbage, I'm going to hopefully get some use out of it. And that's by us talking about it on air. Excellent. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this is a I6 Sigma article. There's a link in the show notes. Anybody can go to it. But the title is uh, Black Belt Should Create Balanced Project Portfolios by William Rushing of McKesson. So the title is... Pretty much self-explanatory, but there are four key questions that I thought that he really goes into. They're the main questions of the whole thing that he says a belt should ask him or herself. I thought we'd we'd go through these and we'd say, you know, what do you think about these questions, or what do you think about the answer to this? So this, let's get to the first one. The first one: Should I spend all of my time on projects that save money for my organization by reducing costs or expenses? What's your uh, opinion on that, with Jacob? 
Uh, my opinion is no. Um, personally, if you are trying to just focus on projects that are reducing cost, mm-hmm. uh, you might be successful for a year or two. Okay. Um, or And again, I'm thinking from a perspective of the organization, not as an individual black belt. For the organization, if you're just focusing everything based on costs, after a couple of years, you're not going to have enough projects that's going to look meaty enough mm-hmm. by just focusing on cost-related projects. And then either your program's going to die or the naysayers or the non-believers are going to come back and say, well, the folks who are doing this are no longer saving us enough money, so this group does not need to exist anymore. Right, right. I mean, if, even if you consider the, uh, a cost-driven project portfolio purely on cost, just like project product rationalization, mm-hmm. if you constantly, or customer rationalization, if you constantly cut the bottom 2% of your customers out and you do that year over year over year, at some point, your top customers will be in your bottom bottom two percent, you know, mm-hmm. by 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 that level, and and you're cutting out significant profit uh, by doing that. Now, rationalization is important, but at at some point, you you're going to cut too deep, which is what happens with mass layoffs and all these kinds of things. And I think you end up being the cost that has to be cut pretty soon. Uh, I think. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, because um, you are pure think, overhead. Yeah. And that's that's what I want to be conscious about because and and then at that point you're not necessarily driving a culture of continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is opening opportunities to save costs. Right. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to continue to see. Okay, what more can I do? Because mm-hmm. at that point it might not be cost lucrative. Agreed. So let's see. Uh, William Rushing's answer is he he did say no, but his justification a little bit different. Your organization is only one of many customers. You service as a black belt. Don't forget about external customers. And in that, he includes both the end end customer, end user, and uh, raw material suppliers as as potential end customer. But same answer. Sounds like slightly different reasoning, though. Mm -hmm. All right, question number two. If I scope out projects that will save my organization money, will it help foster Six Sigma in my organization? Hmm. I, I can say yes and no. Okay. Uh, yes, mainly because you will be shown as the light as a team being save a whole bunch of costs. Right. And no, because a lot of people will hate you because they'll see you as the cost cutters. <laughs> and, uh, you know, let's be realistic, right? In many cases, cost cutting is either going to be, or well, in many cases, going to be in the form of headcount reduction. Right. Or it's going to be in the form of job or task reduction, a.k.a. job security, which many people rely on. So, so either either one of the tasks is one of the things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many cases, because of you being a black belt and going and telling somebody, here's how you were not doing your job right, mm-hmm. and here am I, here I am to come help you do that, <laughs> that's also not going to be seen very positively amongst a lot of people. Considering all those factors... Again, depending on your project selection, right? So if your project selection was focused uh, just on money, that's probably how it's going to be. And I think that was his question. If it's mainly focused yeah. on money, how is it going to foster Six Sigma? Yeah, I, I agree. I think if you are really being assertive and you're really successful, what you will uncover and, and your success means it's going to piss somebody off because uh, – 
maybe there will be headcount reduction, unfortunately. There almost always be uh, maybe overtime reduction, but even if it's just like scrap reduction, we we stopped we stopped throwing so many raw materials out or something like that, where you're saving money on the supply side. There's still somebody's ego on the line when it comes to a process that is essentially broken that you're fixing. So uh, I think there's always going to be a risk of somebody not appreciating what Six Sigma has done for them or to them, uh, no matter where you go. Yeah, I mean, I don't think everybody's going to be that way, but you're, no. you're always going to have someone. Exactly, right. And it depends on the culture in your organization. If, you know, there are there are places that where folks actually want help. They're like, you know, I've tried enough. I can't get any more. If somebody has a better idea, help me with it. I'm more than happy to take that. And there mm-hmm. are individuals that way. And if that's the culture in your organization, you know, then this is not something you have to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. But many, many places are not set up that way. So his answer, uh, sort of similar, not always. He says, if you only look to save money, you might miss out on adding value to your organization. And then he gives some examples. Question number three. Well, I guess there's three questions. I said I think I said that there was four, but there are only three. Do my external customers really care about Six Sigma? Hmm. It depends on the customer, I would think. I don't necessarily think they're caring about the Six Sigma aspect. I think they're caring about the level of service and the quality of the service or product you're delivering to them. Right. As long as that is something you can stand behind or that is something you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I don't think they care whether you're doing Six Sigma or Lean or total preventative maintenance or whatever system you're following. I'm not sure. Um, there are certain companies that require you to be following a certain process, but I don't know how many of those customers truly exist that enforce you to do things a certain way. Yeah, there's there's definitely a certain top top tier customer that'll be happy or might even expect you to have a formal, highly governed program like Six Sigma programs can be. But really, at the end of the day, they just want a robust supplier that is low risk and uh, they will not put will not shut their line down for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, they're looking for consistency, right? As long as you can deliver things constantly, consistently, without affecting them, Mm -hmm. I don't think they will – most of the places wouldn't care. Right. Um, Okay, so we basically touched on those key basic questions. So let's talk about just maybe some other things that you may or may have uh, found with the article. What what other opinions did you have that popped out? You know, I kind of agreed with some of the topics. I think the next section that he covers in this is – Mainly, when you're doing projects, there are four main groups of things what would encourage you to do a project on. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, he's talking about external customers, focusing on what their concerns are or addressing their issues or their problems, kind of thinking of it from that aspect. Mm-hmm. There's the internal customers, you know, if you're servicing somebody from that aspect or if your dependencies or things of that sort are being affected, that's something you want to think about. The third section he brings about is the Six Sigma propagation, right? which is what is this team providing? How can this team support the organization, make them more effective and efficient? How can you build the critical mass so that you know, you, you're know you not dependent on this one team to do it? You're driving that continuous improvement mentality through everybody. Mm-hmm. And the last one is the bottom line, which is basically encouraging some sort of cost reduction aspects. How are you Making the organization more efficient and effective. I'm get, I'm looking at it from that aspect. Right, right. 
I somehow, and, and I think he, you know, the, the author here, William's probably saying, ideally it's in the order that he mentions, mm-hmm. which is external, internal, then propagation, then bottom line. Right. I'm not sure if I agree with that order specifically. <laughs> so, uh, so let, let, let's, well, what, what order do you think it belongs in? Uh, I would completely agree with the external customers first. Yeah. Actually, I don't want to differentiate between an external and an internal customer. I would say customer comes first. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and if you had to weigh between an internal and external customer, you would always make the positive choice with the external. I like the idea of propagation, but I don't know how many organizations will leverage that as the next most important thing. Right. If I am a business owner, right. I don't know if I would say the propagation is what matters. So, <laughs> I would more veer towards the bottom line at that point. You know, there's that, and that's a that's an interesting because I was intrigued by this. That really the corporation's bottom line was the last priority, and if you really look at the program, that's its ultimate goal. Most programs is to improve the bottom line, but all of these other things are a means to to do that. But just like what you were saying before, if all you do is attack the bottom line, then you you have you have a problem. You haven't really addressed all those other things, but um, I have definitely and and this comes from a different sort of twist of what I what Six Sigma propagation is. So you know definitely at times taken what I know to be projects that do not impact the bottom line very well and don't really have a great impact on the business, but politically they're popular choices. Hence encouraging Six Sigma propagation and getting more people involved, but they really don't have a huge uh, influence on the bottom line. Also, they could be minor projects, but they're good uh, training projects to foster the discipline and things like that, but directly they're not going to have a big impact. So if I if I see you know those falling under that definition, I have definitely had to take those before a a big one. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the bottom line in those politically charged areas, a lot of those big bottom line projects I had to do as black ops because politically they were unpopular. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, that comes down to what is the intention for the business to do something like this. Right. And then, you know, the one thing, and I don't know if I should bring this up now, but I'm guessing I will. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> um, I wasn't very clear when William was writing this article was he mentioning this from the viewpoint of a black belt? As in, me as a black belt, should I focus on only one of these four sections? Or when I'm building my project portfolio to become a marketable Six Sigma black belt, do I have to show experience in all of these? So I think I think it's a little bit of both. And, it, and as a matter of fact, now, because I do have some, we've got some friends that work in McKesson and the way they do it is they're pretty much the portfolio lead for their site. So if you think on a smaller level, he was probably choosing many of his own projects. So he was not only the black belt, but also the program manager for that site. And which is a little bit contrary to what we experience in many other places right we teach that black belt do not choose their projects they are assigned to a project that may be outside of their area and somebody else yes they should have a balanced portfolio but somebody else is managing what that portfolio looks like the black belt is the facilitator and subject matter expert they're not usually the ones managing the portfolio or or the executor of that portfolio (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. <laughs> I had that very same thing because it's a grand assumption in this article that, hey, black belts choose their own projects, and so you better balance the portfolio. I mean, as a black belt, I'm you know when I was a black belt, when I'm when I'm encouraging others in black belts, I definitely want to encourage them to surface opportunities for what else exists that can be improved, right. because again. You have the vision when you're working cross-functionally across multiple teams or interacting with more teams. You tend to see a lot more. Sure do. And that will give you the opportunity to highlight where are some of the gaps and escalate that to, like you said, to the decision makers or the executives who are necessarily prioritizing what is the next most critical thing so that that gets assigned to somebody on the team to to tackle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you said, I've never – I guess I can in my – in, in our existing organization, I can pick my own projects, but at some point I still need to validate why I am doing this. So, right. you know, I need to go, you know, I need to explain to somebody that here's a, here's why I've prioritized something that is most important, which needs my time and attention. And I don't still think that I can just decide by myself and go run it with myself. I would still need some sort of a, a blessing or an approval. Right. No, I agree. You, you do. I mean, that's and that's the whole point of the defined phase. You think you found something. Now you have to prove it to somebody else who's going to be willing to give you the resources to go attack it. Exactly. Unless you're black ops, then you, you just get it done. And, <laughs> Un- and undercover. <laughs> you get it done undercover. And once they're successful, everybody's happy you did it. It's 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 odd, but and, but then, and I had that. You but, know? but in many cases, that's not even going to be recognized that it was done because it was black ops. It's somebody who's just going to take the credit and just, it got done. That's right. No, no, that's true. That's true. So there's no no recognition, no acknowledgement that, yeah, Aaron spent six months working nights and weekends to do this. Yeah, and black ops also means you're fighting the flow. You Politically, you do not have people on your side until you turn them some other way. And and then they still might not like it because you didn't do it with their approval, Mm -hmm. even if it does come to the light today. And it did help somebody else. <laughs> but so. it was good for the business, damn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast, brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you see any organization that claims to be the one certifying body, they are lying. There is no such thing. The only way to judge the quality of a certificate is by the capabilities of those who have earned a certificate from that institution. There are some that are very good, and there are some that are very, very bad. And because you are a listener to the podcast, you should be able to trust that we, Jacob and I, know what we're doing. I personally have trained over 1,200 students in the body of knowledge. Go to e6s-methods.com slash bb2017 with the password, all lowercase, e6s-bb2017. Fill out the application, start looking for some certification projects, be ready to learn. So what are your thoughts here? This mature, there's figure two right here showing Six Sigma maturity levels. You had any, I had some opinions pop out at me. I was wondering if you had any first. Unfortunately, no. I, I would have to admit I didn't under, even understand what he was trying to highlight here. Yeah, the, the image is a little bit misleading. It looks like it's supposed to be some sort of change um, in maturity over... Yeah, or like a matrix or something. Yeah, but yeah. it's not. It, but, so, but really, it shows the premise of it is you know the more mature you are and the more engaged you are, 
the further you can reach to some of these other types of projects. But I really, I guess one of the largest things that I have a problem with is his scales for maturity on years since, since implementation, I will say 10 years, 10 years, in my opinion is adolescence as far as a six Sigma program is. And, 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 you know, basically within 10 years, you're just now ready to see if you're ready for six Sigma 10, 10 years, you've just about gotten all the low hanging fruit. Now, what are you going to do? Are you really good at this stuff? And you're going to start applying it to these top line growth sort of, projects or strategic initiatives or is this where you quit and this is kind of like the turning point for i think a lot of companies personally maturity i think comes more on a 30-year scale but it has way more to do with just like me just like people somebody looks at me says oh he's old he must be mature no maturity is about behaviors uh that are there and and time is almost irrelevant yeah so i might i might debate you a little bit i mean in that maturity level that 10 years for the low-hanging fruit, con- you know, that conversation, that depends on how many people you have running with this mm-hmm. and how big your organization is. Mm-hmm. If, if you did start off with a pretty decent-sized team to tackle some of these, you might not need 10 years to get to the low-hanging fruit. I mean, com- com- looking at the organization when you and I were, by the time that by the sixth or the seventh year hit, there was literally no more low-hanging fruit. Literally? Yes. Okay, I'm going to disagree. At, at least that's what I felt. <laughs> those, those were those uh, unpopular projects. That <laughs> Could be. Uh, it all depends on how you're looking at the data and, um, and, and who's looking at the data in what way. But Yeah, and, and, and that comes down to, again, the maturity aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Are you mature enough to recognize that, you know, what is the most important thing? So for me, uh, it's not... It's not the project selection. It's the maturity on understanding how should we leverage it. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't think years is going to do anything with that. What years is your – yeah. Go ahead. Years in the program is not going to do anything with that. Agreed. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it's going to be more true understanding of what you as an organization are trying to do mm-hmm. and true understanding of how – these tools are intended to work. And a maturity is supposed to be reflective of if I'm a uh, if I'm a company that's mature in Lean Six Sigma, an indication of that is one where I, I guess I would think you don't question whether or not it should be you should be using Lean Six Sigma tools. Mm-hmm. You I guess the only question is is this is this something that I can use my Lean Six Sigma tools on, or should I call in somebody with bigger guns to use their Lean Six Sigma tools on? Like the question is, is this something of the size that I can solve with what I know about Lean Six Sigma, or do I need to call in somebody with a you know a larger toolbox or whatever? Yep, totally. But otherwise, that that's a sign of maturity. Uh, yeah, and, and and for me, a sign of it's actually that right for sign of maturity is. I know what needs to be done here. And to your point exactly, right? It is, can I do it or do I need help? Right. Yeah, there you go. So I don't, and I don't think years is going to get you there. If you have the, still the same number of non-believers or naysayers and they are still in the organization, no matter how many years it goes through, mm-hmm. they're still not going to get it. Unless you have done really something that's going to change how they think and how they value it. Yeah, it really does start at, 
it, it depends on how far, where you're starting from as far as a company culture. Leadership changes are a huge thing, huge. As soon as, it's really interesting, but as soon as a new CEO comes and says, what are you guys doing this for? Gone. Yep. 10 years down to zero. And mm-hmm. then when the next CEO comes in and they want to make their mark, they say, hey, we should do this new Insert new new name of Lean Six Sigma that comes in the future. (laughs) Operational excellence, process excellence, transformation, BPM, uh, uh, agile process. (laughs) 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 Scrum scrum analysis or whatever. All right. So in this final figure, he talks about areas of project impact. And I think this may have been one of the reasons why I saved this article, because I was trying to use as part of a selection criteria, sphere of influence. It actually was a factor in the C&E matrix. It didn't go over well. The, the executive group didn't understand that different champions had different levels of influence within the organization. And the group was like, well, we said so, therefore... Yes. It's the most important Go thing. Go do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, what, do, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I think this is this is significant in project selection, right? I mean, even today, right? For me, you know, I was just talking to one of my colleagues who has been doing this for a while. He was like, during the first interaction or two that I have with the team, mm-hmm. I can clearly say, is this project going to be successful or not? Hmm. And his and his reasoning exactly is how engaged is the champion and how engaged is the project leader? How much do they want this? Right. Because if they truly want this to happen, no matter what's going to be in the way, they will find the solution out of it. And they're not going to rely with me as the expert to come mm-hmm. and do it for them. All I have to do is provide the tools, give them the tips and tricks, and coach them through it. But they will take ownership and they will drive it. But if either one of them is wishy-washy or doesn't show the necessary engagement, Mm -hmm. then you know from the beginning, either you're going to have a lot of pain or you're going to have, (laughs) or this project's not going to go anywhere. (laughs) Right. If if you, the bell, have to go chasing down the people... Yeah. (laughs) ...to do it, you, you know what you're in for. And yeah, completely agree. And, and and that kind of it's it's kind of what you know William's trying to show over here. It's more of and when he says power of change, I think or power to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's again this is where I want to be conscious, and I think my team dynamic aspect is playing heavily here, or where I'm working a lot nowadays. It doesn't matter whether the black belt has the power to change. Right. It's whether the team wants to make a change. Mm-hmm. And if if that aspect exists, then yes, absolutely, that's where you're going to get your biggest impact. Uh, if the team is not very engaged or not wanting to do it, then chances are it's not going to be successful. Right. That's how I look at it, and, and I don't know if that's kind of how you think about this, or you would think differently. So I, I you know, I, the the sphere of influence, you know, I think is important, and I use that in the time, in the frame of reference as a champion. But this one really is talking about the power to spe- sphere of sphere of control. This is control, more like, really, yeah. yeah. And um, and then so I take a step back from that, and I ask myself, well, does that mean we should not have projects that are outside of? 
the black belt's influence or control? And that I'd say absolutely not. That, that you know, and how would we know unless we try? Because mm-hmm. we actually have to push a little bit into somebody else's area before they'll even think. You know, we have to create that little bit of discomfort and sometimes force our way in a little bit before they say, "Okay, this isn't so bad. Let's 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 get on board." And you know, influence is dynamic over time. It changes over time, and it's on a it's on a continuum. It's not just do I have influence or do I don't. It's certain levels of influence. So. And then at the same time, I'm like, well, at what point do black belts ever have the power to change anything? They're usually hired guns. Sometimes in somebody else's area, they actually don't have power to do anything except for schedule and <laughs> and cancel and, and, meetings. <laughs> and if supportive enough set of stakeholders escalate when necessary to let others know this is what's right. preventing them from being successful. So, they, I mean, that role is almost 100% influential. So. As far as a black belt having the power to change and, and trying to select projects that exist in their sphere of control, most programs that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So I think you brought it up, you know. Um, but I'll say, you know, how many how many psych- psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? A lot. No, only one. But the light bulb has to really want to change. <laughs> Oh, boy. I'm sure somebody else has copyrighted that joke. But uh, anyway, anything else stand out at you as uh, interesting about this article? Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I think if truly you're saying this was something that was written eight years ago, Mm -hmm. then I think this was probably very, very valid at that time frame. I don't know. And maybe for organizations that are still starting or a black belt who is still starting his or her career – this might be a good way to think about it. But for me right now where I am, and I don't know where at what level our listeners are uh, and how different organizations are structured, I'm not sure if this is still how things are being considered or should be considered because in in my honest opinion, I totally agree with his thing about you know external customers solve their problems first and everything else will be affected automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't even think about propagation. I wouldn't think about bottom line because if you are improving your external customer, that is going to show in your bottom line in some form or fashion. If you are solving defects, that is somehow going to improve your productivity. I mean, I can I can vouch for that. I don't need you can look at any project that was done and you can see that happen. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, that's what I would say today based on my experience. And uh, yeah, the maturity aspect, what we discussed, I think that's that's basically the two things that I would say is probably how it's different for me then. Right, than a little bit was. off, right? Yeah. So, you know, I like the idea of the balanced portfolio. And, and if you're the black belt having the portfolio, really, I guess the main thing there is to stop just chasing the money. If mm-hmm. you're just chasing the money, then you may be creating other problems. And uh, having a balanced portfolio, I, I like that. You know, some some strategic, some some cost cutting, some part of the learning, but keep it balanced, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, for the maturity and all these other things, eh, I'm not quite there. But you know, every organization is different, and yeah. different levels of maturity, and certainly different cultures. And can I really judge uh, Williams' answers based off of? Uh, what he's written here, yeah, not not really, because from what I remember of McKesson, they were 
voted like number one for Lean Six Sigma for a few years in a row at this time. So, you know, nice. he, he had a lot of uh, credibility uh, behind him at this time. You know, part of the secret sauce for McKesson uh, is how they do that. So, so you know, maybe. Uh, it just has not been my experience. And the maturity thing is really was off for me. Yeah. And, and the one thing I might add is, again, you know, it's fantastic if you have the ability to select your own projects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, again, if that's how McKesson's run, then that is fantastic. Many times you don't. But the one thing I, I really liked in this when he talked about propagation um, is more about building that critical mass. Yes. And, you know, unfortunately, the critical mass for a program to stick or to be to stay, uh, there's no point building critical mass at the lower level, that critical mass needs to come at the senior leadership level. And if you don't get to that quick enough, then no matter what you're trying to do and how much you're trying to do, um, your program's never going to be there for the long run. Hmm. So that might be the only other piece which I might have to add or say from my experience that something needs to be included. I think I might disagree there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, in my experience, at least in a critical mass, it's, uh, it's not just about the upper level. The upper level will believe that they've hit critical mass as soon as they've all agreed that they're going to do it. And they say, yeah, we're going to do it. Um, and, and it's true when, when they don't, when they're not true believers, um, it doesn't last very long, right? If it's flavor of the month. Yep. But, Grassroots, you know, the the at the bottom line, they also have quite a bit of sabotage power, unofficial power. My belief is that the critical mass really, to be successful, it's got to hit that middle layer. So, my, uh, you know, the top-down approach, I don't really believe works because um, I'm, I'm, I, I I can see that, but yeah. my point is, if if it's only middle layer and the lower layer working on getting that critical mass, mm-hmm. and the top layer is nowhere in sync, Oh yeah, it doesn't matter. You're, you're completely correct, yeah. The sooner you can get the top and the middle layer in sync, and, bought in, in, and you get the critical mass in those two groups, the better and longer your program's going to stick. That's yeah. what I'm... You yeah. know, I, I would I can easily build a correlation, and if we if we do some experiments on that, I think we I can prove that hypothesis pretty. Easy. Really, it sounds like <laughs> makings for uh, a great program that you might want to put together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have a working theory that um, top down doesn't work, middle out doesn't work, but outside in might work. And when you say outside in, I mean I'm oh, sorry, top down plus bottom up. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. I don't think one by itself works. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely agree over there. But getting to that critical mass, am I better off getting to the critical mass at the bottom or at the top first? Um, I would always want to get to the critical mass on the top first. Yeah, got it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Sweet. Anything else, but, Jacob? No, I want to thank William for writing this article because it gave us a good discussion topic. And if William is a listener, I would love to hear from him. And if uh, anybody knows William, please say that we said nice things. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't completely make a, make a hash out of this. Just healthy debate. That's it. Yes. 
Excellent. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to episode 156 of the eSuccess Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode 157 for another recorded presentation from NEQC, this time on simple measures of Lean Six Sigma maturity. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comment section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at esuccess-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then clamor and share it. Don't forget you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down. Certified black belts earn 16.7 to 26.8% higher salary than those who are not certified. You know, I got lucky. I had a company that invested in me many, many tens of thousands of dollars. This is what we're doing. We're doing a subscription model. This means that you decide how much that you're going to pay by how long you take to complete the program. If you finish faster, you pay less. It's it's pretty much that straightforward. As for now, it's going to be $270 per month. That's less than $9 per day. Just consider this. Even if it takes you a full year to complete it, you'll still pay several thousand dollars less than with a comparable program. The value of this goes far beyond that, and the value of the fact that it's self-paced, your boss doesn't have to excuse you from work, you don't have to take vacation, you do it on your own time. So here's how you apply. Go to www.esuccess-methods.com slash bb2017. Here's the password, all lowercase, e6s-bb2017. That's the only way you can get to the application page, and this is the only place I'm sharing that password. The application deadline is February 28th, 2017. Again, limited to only 20 candidates. I wouldn't hesitate. I would take advantage of this right now. The price is low, and again, I can only take 20. Once that space fills up, that's it.